What are those things that you've learned since you left school that have contributed to your greatest moments of health, happiness, and success? Today, I'm going to share with you 11 things I've learned about life, business, and leadership, and how those have made a marked difference in my life and how they can help you too. Welcome to Playing Full Out, where you'll discover tips to break through the personal and professional barriers in a hectic world that are preventing you from leading your optimal vision of life at work and home. This is the podcast for passionate life travelers and leaders who want to live a deliberate, confident, and fulfilling life and change the world while they do. I'm your host, Rita Hyland, and in each episode, we'll expose you to something new in the areas of passion, performance, and psychology that you can immediately apply to grow your life, love, and leadership. Hi, this is Rita, and I'm glad you're here. I have been in a really reflective state for the past month or so. I am heading next week into my 25th college reunion and have been asked to speak This past weekend, I just got back from my parents' 50th wedding anniversary celebration, and then the kids getting out of school. That always is a marker for me and each year to look and reflect on what's happened, where we're headed. So I've been pretty nostalgic and, again, reflective, introspective, if you will, and I have just in a moment's thought process went through thinking on some of these drives that I've done this past weekend in particular of what are the things that have been most contributive to my past 25 years, my learning, my experience, my growth. And so I came up with a list of 10, maybe 11 things that contribute to both successful and fulfilling lives. These are the things that after years of working with highly talented and skilled and smart individuals, whether they're young or old men or women, whether they're entrepreneurs or business owners or CEOs of households, I have seen some things that have been consistent and of what makes people happy and successful, as well as those things that if we're not incorporating them, that we could you I see that could be done more of. And to elicit that, to make sure that when we get to our last day, that we're living both a fulfilling life, a bold life, a rich life, and one that really matters. So I'll start. My first one that always comes to me and was my game changer for myself, and so I'm always on top of it, is check your story. Perhaps the greatest contribution of this last generation, and since I graduated probably, is what brain science and Eastern philosophy and spirituality and physics are all confirming. Your reality is based on the story you tell yourself. Our life expands to the extent of the story that we tell about it, and your brain will seek to make it right. The biggest problem that is responsible for holding back countless careers and relationships and creative endeavors and and even people's life aspirations are the stories we aren't even aware we're telling ourselves. It's a battle out there. It's getting harder to make money in this industry. Teenagers are difficult. The world is a mess. If I lose my anxiety, I lose my edge. And when we feed our subconscious mind, which is our powerhouse, these stories, they are seeking that information out. I've always said there's a, you know, 
was fascinating to me again is that this science is all com- com- coming together to prove what we've considered magical in the past. There is no magic to this. That we are receiving 11 billion bits of information or stimulus in every second, but our brains can only process 40. And the 40 bits that it processes are those ones that we are telling it to look for. So how we direct it to look for if are there resources to solve my problem? Are there not resources to solve my problem? Whatever 40 bits you're feeding it, the brain will seek to look or not look for them and will seek to prove ourselves right. So what this means is that no amount of willpower or hustle or ambition can outperform your story. So you have to be bel- be deliberate about mastering your thoughts. And there isn't a person that I've ever met, regardless of how successful, that doesn't suffer from holding themselves in, I call it the big story problem, even just at least a little bit. So check your story and rewrite it for a better ending. And there's many steps to reprogramming the subconscious mind. I'm going to do it a later, a later podcast, but it is the reprogramming. If what you see on the outside isn't happening, that means that something internally is, it's not happening on the inside. Where you put your attention is where your life is. That's number one. Check your story. Number two is move beyond the pleasing, performing, and perfecting as soon as you can. If I never spent another moment attached to what others thought, I've already spent too much of my life caring about getting it right for others before myself. And when I finally got my first taste of giving back the the right to, for others to feel what they wanted about me, and there's a number of important people in my life, when I said, have at it, enjoy, you know, you you get to decide I'm game with that, I'm good. When I did that, it was as if I had been liberated from like years in the winter of Siberia. It's this message that I'm not dancing for you anymore. It, there's a ton of liberation. There's a ton of freedom There's a, that comes with not pleasing. Does it creep up? Does the pleasing keep up? Absolutely. Does my reptilian brain want to take over my life sometimes? Absolutely. The key is not about perfection. It's that I see it when it's happening so that I can get back into living from my inspiration and not my fear of being liked or approved. And it's a daily awareness and your job is to reduce the lag time and certainly reduce how you're making decisions. It equals freedom and liberation is all I mean is to lovingly return and say, I'm going to let you decide what it is that you want. And I've heard it said before, and I love this idea that you're going to be judged regardless. You're going to be judged. We are judging human beings and organisms. Make sure you're doing something that you like while you're being judged. So accept reality. Don't suffer fighting reality and simply come back into yourself and tune in and say, okay, am I doing what I love then while I'm being judged? Number three, the first one is to be critical of your opinions. Nothing is a fact except that you find evidence to confirm it so. And in senior year, I was reflecting back on this in college, I had this incredible professor in world history. His name is Professor Dittmer. And he was one of my school's greats. And he had been in the civil rights movement and participated in the marches. And what I appreciated about him, which is something we don't find in our news cycle much anymore, is that he really tried to report what I would say is is fact. I mean, he was trying not to put a slant or a bend and, and tried not to let you see during his lectures where he was on choosing an opinion or a position. 
And early in the semester, he let us know that there was going to be a paper on the topic of Vietnam. And I thought, oh, grand. My dad had performed two tours there. You know, he was on the front lines of Vietnam. And I talked, I've talked with him He was for a long time. And I was, I'm familiar with the war and philosophy and thoughts on it. Then Professor Dittmer did this thing, which I hadn't seen done. He divided the class in two and he assigned one half to defend that the U.S. should have gone to war and the other half to prove that we should never have been in the Vietnam War. He assigned me the latter, that we should never have been in the Vietnam War. And as the daughter of a veteran who had been on the front lines, as I said, for two deployments and was still active in the military, I knew for a fact, as I thought in my small mind, that we should have gone to the Vietnam War. And I'd heard it all my life. What I found in writing that paper, however, was absolutely fascinating and has changed the way I look and approach things. I could see the reasons and actually got an A plus on writing the paper from the opposite of the long standing opinion that I had held. Nothing's a fact. It's an interpretation. It is only a fact when we are finding evidence to prove it and, and, and say it's so. So don't borrow your beliefs, challenge your, and be critical, really critical of your opinions because you just might learn something. Number four, be a giver. In relationships, there are three kinds of people. There are givers, there are matchers, and there are takers. The givers give 100%. They give to serve. Matchers, they give it 50% and expect something in return. And the takers, well, they just take. You get what you give. It is probably the most repeated line. I've said this in my house. Kids hear it all the time. When one of my daughters is snarky to her sister, within minutes, she's stubbed her toe or she's fallen off the curb. And it happens with adults too. In the corporate world, I see senior leaders act unilaterally or be immersed with their worlds. And they wonder why team members don't have their back. Karma in ancient Sanskrit means boomerang. You don't need to be concerned when it's coming back to you or when it will come back to you, what you do to another, you do to yourself. If you want to be judged, if you don't want to be judged, don't judge. If you do want to be judged, then judge. Be a giver and give generously. Number five, stand up for the less powerful and teach your kids to do the same. How you treat the flight attendant matters to me. Speak up, have boundaries. And when someone's crossed them, let them know individual I was working with last week told me his son was being bullied at school. And he told me he'd given his son the advice not to come home until he'd hit this bully back. And he was asking me if I thought that was sound advice. Now, before I was able to respond on what I thought, what came out of my mouth was, where are the other kids? Why isn't someone standing up for him? They're not because they don't see us at work doing it. Use your voice when you see a team member being berated by a boss or a colleague make an offensive comment, or you see someone not treat the staff well. These The words I use are not on my watch. That's not acceptable. This doesn't work for me. This isn't how we roll in this house. You're out of line. Whatever way you say it, make sure you say it. Make sure you stand up for the less powerful so that your kid will help the other kid that's being bullied on the play- playground or in the lunchroom. Use your voice. Be willing to get involved. The next generation will learn from your example and be a kinder and gentler society when we do this. Number six, see through the eyes of another. Be interested instead of interesting. 
be curious and seek to understand first. That's Stephen Covey's, I believe, his first rule of the seven habits of highly effective people. Seek to understand the best three questions out there to ask yourself if you are a leader or a parent or a human being that cares or seeks to positively influence anyone is what is that person worried or concerned or afraid about? And how, number two, am I unwittingly contributing to that? And three, how can I alleviate it? Brain science has shown us that in a mind, if it is negative or stressed, it is never going to be as intellectual or creative or effective at problem solving. It's all, in all categories, the performance goes down. So don't ask a kid or an adult, it doesn't matter who, why they did something. Ask them what caused them to do it. Bad behavior is a result of fear. It doesn't have to be bad behavior. Lack of performance is a result of fear. Seek to reduce the amount of fear in the world by bringing your patience and love to the game, as opposed to throwing more fear and anger back at it. Check your ego. And again, be interested in seeing through the lens of another. Practice with your children to help them do that too. A person who is stressed is always going to show up at a fraction of their best. So seek to alleviate individual's fear and you will have the key to unlocking their potential. Number seven, be vision-driven instead of circumstance-driven. What I mean there is when you are working from your current circumstances, you create your circumstances. This is how patterns are created. Einstein said you can't solve a problem from the same level of thinking that got you there. Your current level of thinking got you into your current problem, so it's not going to be able to get you out of it. Raise your thoughts. Currently, when we seek to hit our goals, we do it from a very backwards strategy or approach. We start at A, and we seek to get to B. The thing is, is that, again, we're starting with our current circumstances, and circumstances are a lack of time, a lack of energy, a lack of money, another fear of something. If you go to point B and you start operating and behaving and feeling as if what you want is already achieved, you will you will begin to navigate and from those ways of being have different behaviors that will get you to that that goal or that vision that you're seeking. So many times I'm talking to individuals and they don't really have a clear vision. They know what they don't want. And this can be the top of the top who are leading organizations. They know that they're tired of this behavior. They're tired of this type of performance. They're tired of the lack of something else. But all the focus on that is where all that our energy and attention goes is where, is where our results in our life live. So go to your vision, speak to your vision, repeat your vision, be, um, talk about it incessantly, especially if you're a leader. And that can be in our households too. We're leaders in all different areas of our life. I'm not speaking just about in your, your organizations or your companies that you lead, but also in our homes and in our families. Go to the hundredth floor instead of getting stuck in the weeds. Paint the picture, operate as though your vision is already achieved and operate as though your success is inevitable. Be vision-driven. The number eight one that I, wow, I think is just so important and really helped me turn a huge corner is name the elephant in the room. Be a bullshit-free zone. 
It's ironic, I think, as a recovering people pleaser that I make my living saying what others won't say, whether that's in the offices or boardrooms or in people's relationships. And I think I got my first taste of this in college when I was with a female icon who operated always in a bullshit-free zone. And it was the late Barbara Bush. And she'd come to speak through this lecture series that we have at my college. And I was a student trustee. And I got the pleasure to meet her at a reception at the president's house when she'd come to talk. And there were three of us talking. It was Barbara Bush, it was myself, and it was this esteemed trustee who had actually paid and sponsored her to come in. And as we talked, the other trustee said something that by today's description would probably fall under the Me Too variety. And instantly, Barbara looked at him with her strong eyes and said tersely, that is the most chauvinist thing I've ever heard. And she continued and went at him. And she was actually defending me. The lesson I learned there was step over nothing. Call it when you see it. By bringing the dark stuff into the light, we can change it. All of these, sort of all of my learnings I can see, so could go to where the next one. And the next one is be real. If you haven't heard it yet, vulnerable is the new strong. How many of us want to hear from those who are ready to tell their real story or a vulnerable story? But when I ask that question in a group, and then I ask how many of you want to do it, all everyone's hands fall down. Being real and being vulnerable, ironically, mean tearing down the walls that we spent the first half of our life putting up to protect us. It's hard to realize that that the very things that protected us, the, the following of rules, the being appropriate, aiming to please, or quieting our voice to keep us safe, those things that we learned when we were growing up keep us now from being our best parents, being the best parenting, having the best parenting go on that we can and being our, you know, the best of friends and being great leaders. It is irresistibly attractive to be real and authentic and to be, and to, to be able to expose our weaknesses. It takes a strong person to be able to do that. More importantly, it's less draining for yourself to not be a performer it is liberating to, to show up. And that actually gives permission and freedom for other people to do the same. So it's in the spirit of be the change that you want to see. If you want to hold or, you know, they say you cannot change anybody, but you can change a relationship by you being the reflection of what you desire to see. So hold the frequency, hold a higher frequency and have that be matched. Yeah, the ninth, ninth observation I have with regards to how to live a successful and fulfilling life is be someone's believing eyes. Nobody can succeed without having another person who believes in him or her more than the first person does him or herself. So again, nobody else can succeed more than another believes in them. Whenever you're speaking with another, whether they're young or old, in your offices or in your family, speak to the highest within them. When your child makes a mistake, 
or gets caught smoking something you yourself smoked 30 years ago, speak to the person you see him or her capable of becoming. Don't speak to them from their circumstances. Speak to the person you see that they can be. That's that, that goes again to almost re- referring back to the vision-driven, not circumstance-driven. Don't keep a person stuck. My greatest gift in life that I've ever been given are those who have patiently held the light for me and guided me over to the light switch. I had to turn it on myself, but they waited until I would turn it on myself and they convinced me I could turn it on. I now devote my life to holding that vision for individuals and leaders and companies to fulfill their highest vision and purpose, perhaps because I am so grateful that, again, someone else had the patience. And if you don't have someone who is your believing eyes, don't just be someone else's, but get yourself someone for yourself. Many a person has survived and thrived because another believed in them long enough so that they did too. Number 10, make a living doing what you love. What's the work you can't not do? And if you don't know or your, your, your protected mind won't let you go there, ask yourself a different question and enough different routes. What's the work that when you're in a rocking chair with a blanket on your lap towards the end of your life that you will regret you didn't do or at least attempt? I spent the first years doing what I thought I should on the most conservative street in the most conservative company on the most conservative floor with my blue suit on. And now I'm an entrepreneur and a business owner in an alternative or different career. Do what energizes you and that you never really want to stop doing. The world needs what you have to give. So whatever job you do, be in the business of lifting people up. If you want to build your business, see how you can serve others. In fact, I found this helpful is to drop the word achievement and replace it with contribution, even in your businesses. Work from the place of how many people can I help today? And when you seek to serve from the place of serving instead of serving to give or to, you know, or that you'll get more or make more money. When you do that, you actually will make more money. So again, serve from a place of serving instead of serving to get. To get. Our highest needs are the sixth and seventh on the, on the scales are to connect and to contribute. And there are spiritual needs. And when you, when you are connecting and contributing, those needs are met. And life is both met with success and fulfillment. And I do, I do always have one bonus. I, 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 I can never stop is, and this I think is very important is to continue to take a leap. A leap is an unplanned intuitive hit that you act on. It's not just the intuitive hit, but it's one that you act on. It might come to you in the shower, might come to me after a good run. Sometimes when I need to get out of my left brain and thinking brain, I'll go take, I'll go take a run. It's from your inspired right brain instead of your logical or rational left brain that so many of us spend so much time in our day and aren't using the reserves of energy and insight and wisdom that we really have. A leap might come or mean trying a new approach to anything that you do. It could be a new approach to your parenting. A leap could come from creating a new company initiative, which 
goes against the historical grain or writing the book you've always talked about or making a move or scheduling your first attempt at fly fishing, whatever it is, continue to take unplanned and messy steps that are uncertain because it's all uncertain. And ask your inner control freak to kindly stop talking and take a seat because you've got this. When mine starts coming up lately, I've been just saying, stop talking. As much as I resist it, the best part of life, whether that's good conversations and real moments with my kids or opportunities or new adventures, are they're all on the other side of my fear. So we may not be predisposed to leaping, but we can take that internal guidance that comes from our intuitive hits and act before our mind talks us out of it. That's really important. If we sit on a leap, if we sit on an intuitive hit for too long, we won't show up to it. I read in an article from Brene Brown on the topic of midlife, a quote that I think I'll end with. And she summed it up like this. There are consequences for squandering your gifts. There are penalties for leaving big pieces of your life unlived. You're halfway to dead. Get a move on. You've got this. And if you or someone that you know is interested in making sure and guaranteeing that the next half is your best half, that you don't leave anything on the table, including regret later in life, then make sure you get on and contact Rita Highland Coaching. In September, we have some availability for one-to-one coaching to make sure you continue and finish off 2018 at your highest levels. Thank you. And I look forward to talking to you in our next podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Playing Full Out. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes for more tips, tools, and inspiration to leading the optimal vision of your life, love, and leadership. And remember, a half version of you is not enough. The world needs the fullest version of you at play.